with a human high priest. Open your Bibles. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 22, verse 30, through Acts 23, verse 11. God's word says this, But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he, that's the Roman uh, centurion, unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other he cried out in the council, Brother, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the active involvement of your Holy Spirit in this world and in our lives. We thank you for your presence here with us. We pray for your help as we interact with your sacred text this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Just throw out one thing that hit me the very, very first, uh, for the first time as I read this text, and part of it I was thinking, uh, I guess because of the first song we sang this morning about uh, God our Father, Christ our brother, and a comment someone made in the men's Bible study, and and it, it occurred to me, and at the very start of the week, I was all about the fact that Paul three times called these non-believing people brothers, and I kind of thought, a lot of that, that might be where we go with a lot of this is just what is this whole brotherhood of man, fatherhood of God thing, and how can we? But you know, that quickly uh, receded as we got into the text. And um, it's interesting, and we can have a talk about that sometime. Uh, but you are my brothers and sisters, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ in a true way. We're adopted into God's family. Um, but that's, that's an interesting 
thing that Paul would address them as brothers when they weren't really brothers. There's a whole good study, and I can't wait to have a conversation with you about the children of uh, the sons and daughters of Cain versus the sons and daughters of Seth and all of that. But that's a different talk for a different time. This sermon, as we look at the text and think about what's going on in our lives as a congregation and what's here, really what bubbles to the top is the idea of tension. Look at the tension in the text. There is a hard tension. It's like a, a, a somebody might say walking on a tightrope. You, you go one way or the other, there's, there's calamity. And we see tension and we're familiar with it, maybe more than we've ever been in our lives without necessarily analyzing it that way. There is some conflict, some tension. And those of us who live in a, in a place now of, of tension, of, of uh, 49.99% plus one, uh, one way or the other in our nation's politics, in the outlooks, we see the tension. Well, there's tension here. Three points of tension that we'll look at in this text. Uh, first of all, the, the, the tension that Paul had of, between standing up for one's rights as a citizen and the proper respect and submission to authorities. There's tension there in, 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 in what Paul is to do. How is he to stand up for his own rights and yet honor that Exodus text that, that says, uh, it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Boy, there's tension. We're going to look at that. Then we see next the tension that exists even between people who are enemies of Jesus and his people. It's not like everybody that hates God and hates the gospel and is opposed to the gospel, not like all of them are bosom buddies with each other. And there's a tension there. We see it in the Sadducees and the Pharisees. We'll get to that. And then that great final tension. This is the one I hope we key on. I hope we walk away with, uh, with smiles on our faces and joy in our Christian hearts. Uh, The tension between the way things look and the way they actually are. And that's in verse 11 of chapter 23. So we're going to get there. But these three points of tension, that's the thought, and that's where the sermon is headed. First of all, then, the tension between standing up for one's rights as a citizen and the proper respect and submission to authorities. That's in Acts 22, verse 30, and 23, verse 5 sang about Jesus the high priest. We sang about the following of Jesus uh, uh, fulfilling that high priestly function. Boy, that's a good good thing to sing and and realize. These human high priests, uh, I guess they're kind of like if you read a book on the history of the popes. Some of them were pretty good. Some of them were not so so stellar uh, if you look back in history. And, uh, And so we see the high priest. This particular high priest was named Ananias. He was a bad one. You read the historians of that day, not just Josephus, but mostly Josephus. This Ananias uh, has shared a record of his kind of person. He was a thief. He was politically appointed by the Herod family to this position. 
He would do things like send his servants to the threshing floor to seize the tithes that were for the common priests. He got rich. He was a politician who went into office as a middle-class guy, and, and you look 20 years later at their net worth, and he was a multi-multi-millionaire, and you go, how did that happen on that salary? Something just doesn't make sense. Uh, that's who this high priest was. He became extraordinarily rich while in office. He departed office later. The quote about him was even afterwards, as he self-interestedly uh, looked for his own assets and, and, and looked to build himself and his family up. Uh, the quote was, he did not scruple to use violence and assassination to further his interests. That's the high priest that Paul had the conflict. That's the one heading the Sanhedrin at that time when Paul is on trial. When the war against Rome happened in A.D. 66, this man, Ananias, was dragged by insurgents from an aqueduct in which he was hiding. He and his brother were put to death by, by these people. He was not loved by his people. He was out of office at that time as the high priest. Uh, he was not loved. His son then later retaliated strongly against those that had killed him. That's who we're talking about in this text. This is Ananias, the high priest. This is Paul's tension at that time. He was certainly wrong to tell them to smite Paul on the mouth for Paul's testimony of having a clean conscience. Remember, Paul had been rescued there in the temple. The Romans had come down the steps and taken him and saved him. And last week we talked about his speech on the steps as he was trying to share the gospel with them about who God is. And he talked finally, and when he got to the point about God appointed him to be the missionary to the Gentiles, uh, racism, self-righteousness swelled up, and they pulled him out of there. Romans are still trying to scratch their heads going, who is this guy? Who is this guy, Paul? The one guy, I remember, thought he was like an Egyptian uh, insurrectionist from before, and, and they're still trying to figure it out. So the Roman goes, I'll just put him in front of the Sanhedrin, this group of, of rulers of the Jewish people, of which Ananias, the wicked, terrible, uh, sinful Ananias, was the, the high priest. Maybe I can figure out then just what this guy's charged with to see what I have to do to keep the peace in this province uh, with these uh, crazy Jews who keep uh, uh, troubling us. So he did that. This Ananias was wrong. Paul begins by saying in verse 1 of chapter 23, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. My conscience is clear. He starts out by saying that. That's all he got to say before wicked high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Pop that guy. How dare he say that he's lived his life in a good conscience up till this day? Well, maybe people who can't say that don't understand people who do are able to say, I've lived with a good conscience. Maybe it angers them because their conscience troubles them. 
I have no idea why, but he said, strike him on the mouth, which was against the laws of the Sanhedrin. They had a bit of a innocent until proven guilty. It was a trial. But Ananias was making it a sham trial, and he was wrong. It violated their own laws. You don't strike him on the mouth as he's beginning to defend himself and speak. You're there to judge and to listen. Uh, Maybe later on you'll strike him on the mouth. Maybe later on you'll have him executed, and it sounds like the Romans didn't mind uh, uh, going along with what the Jewish people wanted in situations like this, and, and maybe you can have him sentenced to death and the Romans will kill him for you. But at this place, it was wrong for him to do that. And I would just say, as we make application to us in our own life, the the, the final application of the sermon is going to be more for us as a congregation, as a church. But throughout, I want us to think about our own life and how we we interact and and bounce off this text in light of, of, of what it is. Can you say, I've lived my life, Let's let's get the words right. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. I bet you could say that. A lot of you can say that. Most of you, if not all of you who are Christians, could say that. Could you say, I have been sinlessly perfect up till this day? No. (laughs) Can't say that. Did Paul say that? No. But Paul said, brothers, as he's talking to a religious body of people, saying, my conscience is clear. That's how he starts out with. That's a good way to live. I hope, I hope you could say that. hope I could say that. We understand that God is the Savior. Your grace is enough. We can't work our way to salvation. But there is a desire There is a scriptural mandate to live as becomes a follower of Christ. In 1 John, which I didn't get that far in our, but I chose the 1 John passage leading to that. In 1 John, it says, Brothers, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. There's nothing wrong was saying, I don't want to sin. To say, I would like to to not sin. When I sin, it doesn't just hurt me. I don't sin in a vacuum. I said that to a group of teenagers once, and they really didn't understand when I said, they're a vacuum sweeper. (laughs) But you don't sin in a vacuum. And my sin hurts my wife. My sin hurts my kids. My sin hurts you. Uh, My sin is, is not good. I don't want to sin. I shouldn't. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. But John, in, in, in 1 John, he didn't say, my brothers, you're going to sin anyway, so we have an advocate with the Father. He said, I am writing these things to you that so you, you don't sin. I don't want to be a legalist. I'm not being legalistic here. I'm just saying, sin is bad. Sin is not good. If you can figure out a way to mortify and, and fight sin, that's good. As long as you don't say, well, look at me, I'm pretty good. I don't sin like I did. I, I don't sin as much as she does or he does. Don't say that. But boy, if I'm a follower of Christ, and you know, we catch ourselves, uh, actually, if, if we're, as we live for Christ, as we get into the Word, we catch ourselves uh, less and less. Boy, uh, I got a buddy, and uh, he, he preached something like this or said something like this, and boy, somebody just 
uh, it, it bothered this, uh, this fellow pastor of mine. And, and I had to say to him, listen, everything I know about you, you're a grace-based follower of Christ. And just because this person uh, told you uh, to not tell your congregation to, uh, to, to sin, it uh, doesn't mean you're a works-righteous person. Paul did say, I have a good conscience. Hope you can say that. I hope I can say that. Paul was also right when he said, contrary to the law, you want me struck. Paul, in verse 3, said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Paul was right. Now, some people have come down hard on Paul in this and said Paul was, he should have been like Jesus. Jesus, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. First uh, Peter one twenty three says that. But I'm telling you, I thought about this in a different way too. Uh, Jesus did, on occasion when he was in a trial, there was a time where Jesus did stand up for his rights. When he was reviled and mocked, he didn't revile and mock back. But listen to this from John 18. John 18, 21 through 23. This is Jesus start opening the dialogue. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said was wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And there was Jesus pointing out to them the hypocrisy of them striking him. He didn't revile back, but he did point out the hypocrisy. Now, how do we as Christians, as we interact with a, it's a state government, how do we interact during this lockdown experiment? How far do Christians go? How do we respond? Uh, I have to say I've appreciated in our state there has been consistency. In our state there's been consistency. When they, during a lockdown, said churches don't meet, they also said businesses don't meet, Uh, they gave standards and things, and there was not a double standard, an anti-Christian double standard that I saw in Connecticut. In some of these places, clear double standard. Casinos, you're open, you're essential. Shopping malls, you're open with guidelines. Abortion clinics, got to have that. You're open. Churches, no, you're not essential. You mean nothing. Just meet online or something. There was a clear double standard. What did those churches do? Uh, were they right to stand up for their rights and point out their rights? What would Paul have done? What, would, what did Jesus do in that? That's a good question. It did not reach us as elders here. What we tried to do as elders was to say, all right, they're not putting an undue burden. They're not telling us don't share the gospel or not. And there was no point in picking a fight. 
maybe the next time around. And boy, there's going to be next time around. It's all an experiment. How much will the people take? And the people are also saying, how much will we take? And everybody's rethinking all these things. We have no idea where it's going. That's the tension our world lives in. And as elders uh, and as a church, we want to say, what's the Bible standard? What does it say? And boy, that's a good thing. Side note, not in my notes, side note. Be glad for a church with a plurality of elders and perspectives and voices. That's, that's God's beautiful design, that it's not one person that has to make the decision uh, because uh, human fallible people can get it wrong. You're better off with five people who love each other and love you and love the word praying through things. And it might get, it might get, uh, it might get tense. Anyway, the tension that Paul lived in. And so Paul responded, God strike you, you whitewashed wall. Some people said, well, he was making a reference back and there. I didn't write it down, but I think in Ezekiel and places like that, you have a whitewashed uh, wall or references, um, those types of things. I've got to back up. One, I missed one quote. Um, Solzhenitsyn. My little brother said, thank you, Dave, for introducing me to, to Solzhenitsyn when it comes to things like what's going on in the world. Um, when he was little. Solzhenitsyn said, when they come for you, you go kicking and screaming. You do point out like Paul, don't violate the law. As long as there's a constitution and, and we're kind of looking at it the same way, be glad you're born into a place like that. And as long as we have one, it's fine to lean on that. Your voice may be censored as you go kicking and screaming by the Twitters, Googles, and Facebooks of the world. It may not be covered by mainstream press, but to stand on what constitutional rights you have, even while there's a constitution. I wrote this, I'm thinking that, and I'm going, yeah, that's right, is to follow in the steps of Paul and Jesus. Jesus pointed out, don't strike me due process. If you've got a, a system like that, lean on it. That's not non-Christian. Even if it doesn't affect the ultimate outcome in your case. Kicking and screaming. Why did Paul apologize then when it was pointed out that he was speaking about the high priest? Now maybe whitewashed wall was just a, a common insult that they threw back and forth. Maybe Paul was, and I think he was, referring with his extensive knowledge of the Old Testament. He was, he was referring to that. But they said, why would you, they said to him, those who stood by in verse 4, would you revile God's high priest? They weren't shocked that the high priest would break the law because they knew this high priest and that was the corrupt system. But they were shocked that Paul would dare to revile the high priest. And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Some people said, well, Paul was giving a little dig. If you acted like a high priest, then I would have recognized you as a high priest. I think, actually, just take it for what it says in the text. I think he didn't know that this was the high priest that said that. Think just as it, said, as it said. Usually in any text, including the scripture text, the most basic explanation 
is, is the right one. He was talking about the whitewashed wall. I would not use this passage to say this. You must respect the United States president because he's talking in God's, uh, God's rule and God's setup of God's people. There was a temple. There was a high priest. Uh, I, I, would, I would say, and the reason why we want and why we have our tension to try to be respectful of, of our leaders, I mean, it's just, it's, you see funny things. You see funny, and it's like, it's ridiculous out here. Uh, it, it, it is. The laws, the things that are passed, and you go, what in the world? You either have to, to laugh or cry. The woman that drove through the drive-thru, and, and she didn't have, uh, and, and the guy, she ordered a drink at a, at a McDonald's or someplace like that. She didn't have a mask. And the kid said, I can't give you your drink that you ordered unless you put a mask on. And he said, do you have a mask? If you don't have a mask, I can give you a mask to put on, then I can give you your drink. And she said, wait a minute. Uh, it's safe. You can give me a mask, but you can't give me a drink. But you have to give me the mask first. Why not just give me the drink? Can't we transfer germs? And it just, it, it's ridiculous. Okay, so we see things like that, and we see more obvious things like that, and our tendency is to want to just rail and how do we as Christians in our own life of tension say, um, pray for the king, pray for the rulers. He is God's instrument to do what's right. Uh, there's a reason why uh, we, we, we pray regularly for our presidents and for our, those elected officials. This would not be a verse and a passage in favor of that. Uh, there are passages that talk about the respect we have uh, as citizens and being good citizens. This would be more along the lines of touch not the Lord's anointed when it comes even to church and church leadership. And I would say be careful. Point out the wrong when there's wrong. Once again, I'm going to say, I, I didn't even make this uh, be glad to be a Presbyterian day, but be glad. Be glad you're in a place where there is an appeals process and there are those kinds of things. Uh, I'm all about Presbyterianism. That's what, that's what brought me from the denomination I was in before because of the system of government. Uh, so Paul realized. He said, I did not realize he was the high priest. He would have been disoriented. He would not have uh, recognized Ananias as the high priest. And he stopped I would say this, and we're going to move on. I don't want to spend as much time on this probably as I have. But it's tough to come to a crystal clear application of this for what the American church will go through. At least it is for me. I would only say, be glad for a Presbyterian system of church government that provides for dealing with church leaders who turn out to be an Ananias, because they do from time to time. I'd say the personal application, stand up for your rights in America and in, as in the church. Paul did this. He did it with the Romans. He said, hey, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. Are you supposed to tie me up? Oop, nope, we can't. So he did it with the secular government. He did it with the Jewish government. Both of them, he stood on his rights. Stand up for your rights. Stand up without stooping to sinful disrespect, but stand up. And the main thing that we can take from this, the main thing I hope that you can say at the end of your life what I hope I can say 
if I get a chance to have some deathbed uh, thing, I hope I can say I've lived before God with a clear conscience. That's what I want to I be able to say. And part of that means keep confessing your sin, keep saying I want to do what's right. Doing what's right is not what saves my soul. Jesus saved my soul. He took my sins on him. But I want to do that. You too. You do, you do that too. Second thing, this is kind of a funny part of the, of the text. At least as a kid, I used to think this was the funniest thing. The tension between the groups who are enemies of Jesus and his people. 23 verse 6. When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It's respect with respect to the hope and resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. Grandpa always used to say about the Sadducees, and you know it's coming, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead, and that's why they were so sad, you see. Um, They were Sadducees. They didn't believe there was anything beyond this. The Pharisees believed there was a resurrection. They believed something beyond. And Paul looked, and there were two opposite groups, and they'd had this fight going all the time. Uh, here's, here's the parts about Presbyterianism I don't like. Sometimes some poor kid stands up in front, and he's going to be uh, questioned on his views. And we don't, they're not, they're not, it's not a stark difference like Pharisees and Sadducees, but there's been this fight brewing for years. And they'll ask him a question, not for his sake, but for these guys' sake. And these guys will ask the question, that poor kid is a, a football, kicked back and forth sometimes in these presbytery meetings, which is wrong, I think. But there's a fight that's already going, and people already know where the lines are. Paul got in here, and he saw, oh, Pharisees and Sadducees, I know we got two groups here. Our modern-day Sadducees that are so scared of dying, like death is, oh, death Oh boy, you just can't die. Whatever it is, don't die, don't die, don't die, don't die. And if they were consistent, they wouldn't even sit in a car. The de- oh, that, that's the worst. Um, not that they believe there's a hell, because they believe this is all there is. And when they're gone, just poof, they're gone. And our modern day Sadducees then will try to make a legacy stand and they'll leave endowments with their names and hope that that they can live on beyond that because they believe when they're dead, they're dead. Our modern day Pharisees believe in an afterlife but don't necessarily believe in the biblical heaven and hell and how to receive eternal life. Many of our modern day Pharisee types then that believe in an afterlife then they go for works righteousness and they try and, and secure themselves a place in heaven with whatever is coming, but they know there's something coming. Sad you see that a funeral service will emphasize the spirit of the person living on only as an inspiration. Fred will live forever as long as we don't forget how nice Fred was to people. And Fred, Fred didn't just die because... Fred was so nice, and we're going to be nice. We're going to tell everybody that Fred was nice, and we're going to be nice, and that's how Fred lives, because Fred's body is dead. That's the Sadducee approach at a funeral service. Pharisees who don't know the Lord at a funeral service will say, well, God needed an angel, and now Fred's an angel. Well, the Bible never says Fred becomes an angel, but they're trying to give something to an afterlife. Neither of them know God. 
But that's, that's Pharisees and Sadducees. And Paul sat in there, and they were both. Paul recognized these groups were represented. Some people say, and why I thought this was so funny as a kid, because <laughs> it's my personality or somebody's personality, I thought, good, he's, he's uh, poking them and then sitting back, and they think the other's poking. He's just, and it, I thought, oh, isn't Paul so clever? He turned them against each other. I don't know if that's what he was doing here. The more I thought about it this week, the less I think he was doing that. Um, he did get some, they said Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't cause dissension. We know that Satan causes dissension. Jesus came for unity, and we know Paul was a unity. I, here's what I think. Here's what I think. And I hadn't thought this before because I, I hadn't studied it or thought deeply about it before. I think there's a third option. Not uh, Some people say turn them against each other in a clever way and some criticize him. I think that this was Paul still trying to be an evangelist and even taking advantage of his situation to share the gospel and to win some. Somebody goes into the hospital. I've heard people say, i got to go into the hospital. Pray for me that even as, as my sickness is there, Pray that I would be a good testimony that I have a chance to even share the gospel with those doctors and nurses and share Christ in the midst of what I'm going to go through. And, and, and I think Paul looked at the two groups and just like he did when he was on the steps in Acts where he said, I'm going to take this as an occasion, quieted them down and started talking about God and he was getting to Jesus. I think he looked at the two groups and he said, how can I share about Jesus? Maybe some of these people can get saved out of this. Think with me. The Bible doesn't say it explicitly. I just I think this is what was going on with him. And who did he identify with? Well, he was a Pharisee. He was going to talk about the resurrection ones. He started out and he said, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. It's with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. Um, I believe had they not started fighting with each other and, and, and then started tugging him and, and the Romans coming in and separating, I think if Paul was allowed to speak, it seems to me, see if it seems that way to you, that he would have led then to Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And it seems like he was starting that way to at least talk resurrection with the ones who believed the resurrection. I thought, what would be a modern-day um, analogy? None of us are bigwigs, but what if we were? And what if we were on trial at the United Nations? And we walked in there, and half of the people there were socialist communists, maybe from China, and the other half of the people were Muslims. Now, in China, right now, They've asked, I believe it's Apple, you can, you can double-check me, but one of the, the major companies, they've said, take off of your phone. We don't want any Bible on, on any phone in our, in our socialist, communist country. No Bibles and no Koran. That's in the news this week. And our American company making all their dollars says, okay, we'll, we'll remove the Bible, we'll remove the Koran. Well, there's no... Uh, we, we know what's happening with the Uyghurs over there and, and the, the locked up and all that. Uh, these, these communists do not like any rival to their, their government is God. And they like no rivals, no God. 
whether that's a Muslim God, whether that's a Christian God, whether it's a, um, uh, I, I had the name on the tip of my tongue, that group of people uh, that, that are, are there with the, with the uh, Buddhist monks up there, uh, they're being persecuted too. Anything that says there's a God and not the God of socialism and communism, government, they're crushing. What if you walked in and you perceived, like Paul perceived, half are Sadducees, half are Pharisees. You perceived half of these are these uh, atheist, communist Sadducees that, that believe this is it and they are the God. And the other half are Muslims. And you said, boy, I got one chance. They think I'm the captive, but they are my captive audience right now. I have the floor. They're going to listen to me. I have no idea what the Holy Spirit's going to do. How would you try to share the gospel? You, you, you couldn't probably in your short time get both. I think I would say, I wouldn't say like Paul said he was a Pharisee because he was. I wouldn't say I'm a Muslim, but I would say I'm in trouble here because I believe there is one God and I believe there is an afterlife and I believe that what we do on this earth has a consequence for the afterlife. And I would go that route, and I would try and tie myself in with the Muslims with their holy book. Then I would make my distinction, and I would talk about Jesus, which I think Paul was trying to do. As it was, because there was such enmity between the two, he never got to that. And the tension is there. Uh, People hate God. They hate to submit to God. They don't want God to run their lives but that doesn't mean they're all lovey-dovey with each other as people groups. And there's a tension there. We didn't get to finish, but I'm going to tell you, there's no honor among thieves. That old adage can be applied to those who oppose the gospel. Now, really, the most important part. There's, I have paragraphs. I'm not going to read them to you. Um, the most important part of the text for you and me in light of where we are as Christians today in this world is the tension we see in this passage between the way things look and the way they actually are. Paul was committed to sharing, to telling, to seeing converts made to Christ. He glorified God. He wanted God to be glorified in others. Jesus had spoken to him. He was an apostle, like it said, an apostle born out of time, is how he described himself. And he was committed to that. And boy, the last two times, remember how he was so dead set on returning to Jerusalem and Agabus came and tied himself up with Paul's belt and said, this is going to happen to you. But Paul knew he was supposed to go because Paul was committed to something bigger than just this junk on this world. He was committed to eternity. He understood people didn't just die like the Sadducees said. He realized people live forever. You have a soul that will live forever? Yes, I have a soul that will live forever, says the Children's Catechism. Paul knew that. And Paul knew that the greatest thing he could do on earth until he was finally dead was to tell everybody about Jesus that he could. He's been thwarted twice now. He came into Jerusalem. He agreed to go along and go into the temple and remember pay for these guys and the purification rites and all that. He got arrested right there. Uh, 
the mob scene. He finally gets permission to address the crowd. He starts speaking to them in Hebrew. They like that, and so they stopped and listened. But as soon as he got to a point before he got to the gospel, boom, riot, and he's gone. Here he gets to go to the Sanhedrin, and he starts to share the gospel, and he starts to talk about how he believes in an afterlife and a resurrection. And boom, riot, fighting, tearing each other. They're going to tear him apart and all that, and he's gone. And he's laying there that night, and he's going, Am I, is it done? What I was born to do and reborn to do, do I get to do that anymore? And the way things appeared, no. The way things appeared, he was done. His ministry, his life was over. And there's a way that we can look at ourselves and we can say, boy, am I just going to, what, breathe air the rest, you know? Do this, do that, do this, do that, then die. Is there nothing for me in my life that matters? Is it over? And it looked hopeless to him. It looked like things were out of control. It looked like things were random, like he was in no control at all, which he wasn't. And there is a tension between how things appear and how things really are. And we've got to see how things really are. Old Testament parallel story to this. Uh, they're surrounding the wall, and I believe it was Elisha, not Elijah. I think it was Elisha. I'm sure it was Elisha. Now, if it was Elijah, <laughs> I'm wrong. If it was Elijah or Elisha, and I'm, I'm 99% sure it was Elisha and his servant. And they had him surrounded. They were going to get Elisha and kill him. And Elisha prays, and he says, God, let this servant see what's really real. And what was really real chariots of fire, God's armies around, and and they can't touch Elisha or his servant unless God wants that to happen and makes a path with those chariots of fire and those armies. And Paul's laying there that night. It does not say dream, by the way. It just says he appeared to him. Important distinction. We can't just say, he had some kind of a dream because he ate pepperoni pizza before, and that always messes him up, and Now, he appeared to him. Maybe a dream, maybe some kind of a vision, or maybe just like it says, he appeared to him. He's standing there, and he says, listen, Paul, first words, and these are the words you take in this world. Christians, we get to take this, so we get to watch all this confusion, we get to see all this riots and all this stuff, and we get to say, wow, it is hopeless, 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 and yet it's not. And what's the first word in verse 11 that God says to him, the Lord Lord Jesus Christ said to him, take courage. You can take courage. We can live our lives courageously. We can take courage. God, please give me courage. Well, Paul, I want one thing for Christmas, one thing. I want a picture of that man. I want all those rows of tanks, and I want that man at Tenement Square and I want that man who walked out and stood in front of that row of tanks. And you can buy that picture. I don't care if it's poster size. I don't care if it's 8 by 11. Put in a frame that I want to see that because there's courage in the face of human insurmountable odds. God, give me courage. God says to us, take courage. You can live for Christ. Oh, your kids are going to laugh at you, some of them. Well... Take courage. 
stand for what's right. Be right. Be right. Take courage. He said, Paul, take courage. What looks hopeless and unpredictable. You know, I've got a, I've got a list of things going on in the world. and I'm not even going to say them. The last one was a funny one. And we leave and live in a time where now Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney are fighting each other in public, <laughs> back and forth. What kind of a crazy world is that? That was supposed to be my joke, and we were supposed to laugh at that after inflation and gas prices and secret missiles that can fly around the world and, and us not know it until they got back to their home place and now nuclear and all that crazy stuff. And, and then you even have, uh, have uh, Mick and Paul <laughs> fighting. It's supposed to be a joke. We have that. We have a crazy world. We've got riots and demonstrations. We've got all these things. We've got people that don't want you to say, Jesus Christ is Lord, and there's no other Lord. And there are people being put down for that. But take courage. Take courage. That's the message. Who's the Lord? King of kings, the Lord of lords. We're okay. And he said this further. He said, you will get to do the thing that is most important to you as my ambassador. As you have shared the facts about me in Jerusalem, you will also do in Rome. That's a key word in the passage as we, as we approach the end of the sermon. The facts about me. You've shared the facts about me. Uh, that's Christianity. The facts about Jesus. The person and work of Jesus. What are the facts about Jesus? Perfectly God, perfect man. Born of a virgin. Came in the world. Tempted like we are, yet without sin died on the cross as our perfect high priest. He was the high priest who offered the sacrifice. And what was the sacrifice? The only perfect one he could offer himself, dying in our place, rose from the dead, conquered death. Paul said, I got to preach Christ and him crucified. Only, only no other gospel. If anybody, even us or an angel, preaches anything other than these facts about Jesus, let him be accursed. And he says, Paul, you get to tell the facts about me in Rome, just like you wanted you get your wish. It's my wish too. And don't worry about these stupid circumstances that look one way because the real truth is the Lord is in charge and the Lord does what the Lord will do and it's good if you're a Christian. Oh, we got to wrap this up. So we will. Application conclusion. For you personally, I've made applications throughout the sermon, but here, who, we are, who are we as a church? Christ the Shepherd Church. Got to start thinking. Individual Christian, got to start thinking of where we're, our membership is as, as, as a church. We're going to face harder questions than American churches have faced for a while, if not ever. At least a different kind of hard because we've been used to a measure of freedom. And what's coming now looks like oppression that our brothers and sisters have faced in parts of the world for over a century now. It's important for us as individuals and as a church to know our Bibles and that we are walking with God. We want to walk worthy of him who's called us. When we get it wrong, we want to be correctable because even though we are saved through Jesus' sacrificial death and not by our works, we love God and we want to, as a church, live with a good conscience that we've done the right. The facts about Jesus are not distracted by all this other stuff to, to, to maybe make the world like us a little bit. Newsflash, they're never going to like you until they get saved. So don't do what you can to suck up. Live your life in such a way they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's, that's true. Jesus, it better be true. It's true. But don't do everything 
don't water down the gospel, the truth of heaven and hell and of righteousness and of submission to the word. Don't change your view uh, uh, to accommodate the world on, on anything. Human sexuality, what's the Bible say about it? Sanctity of human life, what's the Bible say about it? Yeah, but they, they better water it. Well, yeah, they don't like us. They're not going to like you. Not going to like you. With every encounter with people who are enemies of God, who consider themselves our enemies, there is an opportunity to declare the gospel. Sometimes they will listen, the Holy Spirit will work, God will save them, and they become our brothers and sisters. Sometimes they will not hear us out, and violence will ensue, even among themselves. Take courage. Take courage. Closing analogy of us as a church. I've been thinking about the church kind of almost like as a like a church plant all over. The church plant I wanted to do 15 years ago, I get to do now. <laughs> this is how it feels like in some ways. Wonderful elders and deacons. Congregation that loves each other and looks out for each other. Uh, those kinds of things. And we're going to look at, uh, at, at, at how we, as a church, approach our community and re-engage. Uh, this, is, this is exciting times for me. I hope it is going to be and is for you. But the bigger analogy that I've been thinking about lately is Paul's words where, remember, he called himself an ambassador in chains, an ambassador for Christ. Think of this as, as an embassy. We're Christians. We are citizens of heaven. This is an embassy. People come here. When people go to an embassy in another country and they're in trouble, the embassy helps them because their citizenship is there. And we want to help Christians who come. But also the embassy is there. I love this. All these Cuban baseball players that defected. Yay, break free of your socialist Marxist uh, enslavement. Get free. Um, We are here as an embassy to help people change their citizenship, defect from the world, become citizens of heaven. And think of ourselves as, as people in this embassy. And here's our local branch in Danbury. Think of, of how our embassy looks. Think of how we, how we uh, love people in. Think of who we are. And boy, we've got, we've got good, big, important, eternal work that we get to do together. Better stop. Let's pray. Let's go to the table uh, and, and get some, some fuel. But that's, that's God's word for this morning for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Help us. As Christians, help us to think and live and, and, and live Christianly. Uh, help us to, to keep short uh, accounts with you and, and not to just pile up our sins and, and then feel like we can't come and confess to you. And Help us with each other and to, to love each other and build each other up and all the things. And we know that the head of our church is Christ. And we thank you for Jesus uh, that unites us, that is our common denominator. In Jesus' name, amen.